Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. So it was the fall of 2019, and our family had just wrestled through, as Nathan alluded to, our decision to uh, move back to Virginia, to leave our 12-year-plus life here in New Jersey. The Lord was leading us home. It's where Nicole and I had met. It's where we had grown up. It's where we had had started having kids and started our family. Um, on so many levels, it made a ton of sense for us. But in the fall of 2019, as that transition played out, I would routinely find myself driving around the back roads of Hunterdon County, playing a certain Ben Rector song on repeat. It was a song that my son Dalton had first shared with me, but as is habit in my family, I then hijacked it for my own emotional needs. So the song, if you know it, it's old friends, it goes, no one knows you like they know you. I'm not going to sing. And no one probably ever will. You can grow up, move away, make new ones, but the truth is there's nothing like old friends because you can't make new friends. I was mourning the loss of New Jersey somewhat sloppily, and thankfully the back roads don't have a lot of traffic because there were tears streaming down my cheeks and no center line to really uh, you know, orient me. But anyway, I was processing that. More importantly, I was processing the changes in our lives that were coming as we would leave, not New Jersey, but we would leave the people of New Jersey. People who had come to know and to love us, people who had walked with us through a lot of life, a lot of family, and a lot of ministry. People who had been the very outflowing and extension of God's love to me, to Nicole, to Abby, and to Dalton. So the fall of 2019 wasn't, of course, the end of those relationships. Otherwise, I don't guess Nathan would have had me back. But it was a very much a beginning of exposing in my own heart an idol that I would create for myself and that I have routinely placed well above where it should be. It's the idol of others. It's the idol of community. It's the idol of home. And in that time, it's in the last two years, three years, God has been drawing me into a deeper dependence and understanding that while all those are good things, they are not the ultimate things in how it is that I should be known. So that's our note to self this morning. Note to self be known, and we're going to examine a few things there. It's a fundamental longing that all of humanity has had since the very beginning. There's not a single person in here that doesn't have a longing to be known. You may feel it at different degrees, but you have that longing, trust me. We were made to be known by God. We as human beings have longings, and those aren't necessarily always talked about in good ways. They can present as feelings of dissatisfaction, as discontentment, that you're longing for something that you don't have. But I would submit, at least as we navigate the next few minutes together, that longings, our core longings, if you look deep enough, 
If God reveals deep enough, our core longings are hardwired into the very soul and DNA of who we are, created by God and given those longings. And ultimately, humanity's struggle, my struggle, is not in the core longings. It's not in the idea of what that might be, but in the ways in which I try to satisfy those longings. That's the key phrase right there, the ways in which I try to satisfy those longings. So that's where we're going to go this morning, looking at how we might pursue the desire and the longing to be known. We will look at the danger of being known and the delight of being known. We'll begin by looking at God's word and anchor our time in Psalm 139, where David models so perfectly all we should hope to embrace about a relationship with an all-knowing, all-powerful, always-present God. So if you're using one of the Bibles that's here in the sanctuary, do we call it a sanctuary anymore? Uh, the, if you're using one that's right there in front of you, it's on page 974. If it's on your app or it's in your own Bible, please take a second, find it, and follow along as we read all 24 verses. I'll give us a second to get there. What's helpful with my coaches and athletes is when you find it, if you give me your eyes, I know you're there. We're good, we're good, we're good, and we're going to get going. All right, here we go. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold, hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Verse 13, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed bodies. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Finally, verses 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me 
and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the word of the Lord. I would bet that reading this this morning, I would argue and hope that reading anything in God's word might produce a couple of different reactions among us here. I heard it once said that the word of God, what God inspired David to write in Psalm 139 and what he inspired every other author to write throughout the course of the Bible, that the word of God either comforts the disturbed or it disturbs the comfortable. So I'm not sure if you're disturbed or you're comfortable. Whatever camp you might find your spot, your space in as you sit here this morning, know that we're glad you're here and that God, I'm sure, has something for you. Let's begin with the thought that reading this might or maybe should make us uneasy. It does me. That brings us to the danger of being known. And I'm just going to pull us out of Psalm 139 for a second, but we're coming back, so keep your Bibles open, please. What might be uneasy is it because it's my desire and our desire very often to define being known for ourselves. That's the danger. That's one of the dangers. That's where we're going. The danger is a very popular threat, that I would define what it is to be known. Quickly, I'm not picking on younger generations, and I'm not picking on any generation. I'm not picking on technology. I'm not picking on anything. Here's the fact. It's a popular thread to define being known for ourselves, to craft identity for ourselves, because that's the story of humanity. It's just more widely broadcast than it ever has been before. So maybe it feels oppressive, but guess what? In our individual lives, in our individual hearts, it's never been less oppressive. It's never been more oppressive. It is our condition. And that's dangerous. There's hardly a single corner where you can look at where you're not encouraged to determine for yourselves who you are and exactly how other people would see you. The thought that I can dictate who I am and what I am, again, has been there all along. Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden and failed that test. And humanity's been failing that test every, ever since then. Our ability to define who and what we are is exceptionally limited as well. It's packaged, it's airbrushed, it's censored, it's curated so that my best day looks like my everyday. On our own, that's how we try to satisfy the longing to be known. We desire reputation, right? Most people wouldn't raise their hand and say, do I desire to be famous? No, but you know what? There's a degree of fame of having people think something of you that we all probably wrestle with. It's determined by what I've made of my own life, it's determined, concocted, and governed by the opinions of others. It might be partially true. It might be sometimes true, but it's never fully true. It falls short. We hide parts of us, or we hope people don't notice because we are by nature deceitful, fearful, and want to control parts of our lives. In my work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, this is one of the things that really pops up all the time is we have athletes and coaches who have determined just about every step of their lives. They have said so much of their success is in, in their control, and it's what they make of it. And so to encounter them with the truth of who God says he is and then says who they are, 
right, is, is really just something that almost every single season, almost every single year, is a privilege and a challenge to convince them that somebody other than them can be in charge. So danger number one, right, danger number one is our pride. We want to be in charge, and here's what me and my pride, here's what I produce. I'm partially known, and therefore only can be partially loved. Another uneasy thought this morning might be how you and I would finish this thought. If you really knew me, you wouldn't want to know me. If you really knew that this about me, let's think about David just for a second. Let's think about the flashpoints in his life and how he might have finished those sentences. I'm not talking about at the end of his life as we see right here in 139 later on when almost the full story has unfolded, right? Go back to the beginning. If you really knew me, David could have said as a young boy, if you really knew me, you would know that I was overlooked and marginalized in my own family. That I was not even second, I was not even third, I was not even fourth, that it took a prophet of the Lord to find me, right? But at the beginning, I was so overlooked, right? Do we feel overlooked? David could have said later on, if you really knew me, you would know that an entire army and nation mocked me and laughed at me. If you really knew me, David could say, you would know that even after I had fame and position and even the favor of the Lord, my heart was still so dark that first I took another man's wife and then I took his life. We have the benefit of knowing David's full story and how it turned out. But don't you think he could have gotten stuck in those spaces as he was living that out in real time? Don't you think we get stuck in those spaces as we're living them out in real time? In isolation over the course of days and months and years, those experiences and emotions could have easily led to a lack of faith, a lack of trust, and a lack of belief that his God the God of Israel, the God who created all, the God of the universe was enough. Danger number one is our pride. Danger number two is, my, is our unbelief. So instead, instead, that's why God's word and that's why God is so gracious to us. Instead, let's run from the danger of being known and what we might assign to it into the safety of Psalm 139 which gives us a pure, perfect roadmap to the delight of being known. God is enough, he's perfect, and he loves us. God says through David in Psalm 139 what he says throughout history. In creation when everything was good, then man and woman were made and they were very good. Right? Nathan Read from Psalm 8 this morning. What is man that God would think of him? We are given special privilege and position in the eyes of the almighty God. Even after the fall, when there are consequences, there was always a promise that God himself would make a way. This is what we will see in Psalm 139. In exile, in the wilderness, no matter how many times the people of Israel forgot who God was, he said to his people, I know you. 
and I still love you. When that love took on flesh in the person of Jesus, Jesus' entire life showed the way it should be, and his death protected us also from the way it should be. Theologian J.I. Packer, who actually just passed in 2020, keys up our time here for the next little bit, and he, you know, he just has a long quote, so just bear with me for a second, but is, gets to the heart of where David comes to us in Psalm 139. Packer writes, what matters supremely, therefore, is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven in the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, where his care falters. So if there's a danger in being known by what we might concoct, what Packer says and what David sings out in worship in Psalm 139, is that there's a delight and a safety in being known by God. Let's start with the first six verses. If you still have your Bible in front of you, I'm a big believer that reading um, Scripture one, two, three, a hundred times over, God will reveal different things to us. Um, so even if you have read it before, even if you know it, even if it's really familiar, please uh, allow God through his spirit to work through the word of God. So the first six verses, I read a commentary recently that indicated a specific emphasis in the original text on the word you. So it wasn't, it, it would sound something like this. You have searched me. You perceive my thoughts. You are familiar with all my ways, verse 3. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain in verse 6. David is giving honor to God. He's establishing an exceptionally high view of God and a proper low view of himself. That's called humility. And it just puts things in the right order. God is holy, he's righteous, he's other, he's separate, he's perfect, he's, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and I, King David, am not him. That's what he's saying in the first six verses. Let's move to the next six, seven through 12. In these six verses, we see that God is everywhere. Where can I go, David writes in seven? In the best of times... In verse 8, when he talks about ascending to heaven or taking up the wings of the morning, in verse 9, in the best of times, God's there. In the worst of times, in contrast in 8 and 9, where I make my bed or am I dwelling in the uttermost parts of the sea, God is there. God's there in the best of times. He's there in the worst of times. He's everywhere. For the believer, this has always been good news. For somebody coming to this for the first time or somebody stepping into this, this might sound frightening, and I get that, but I just hope that your mind and your heart are sparked with curiosity of why I stand here and say, this is good news, and it's been God's promise forever that there's not a single place 
a single thing that I could ever do that he is not mindful of. In verses 13 to 16, God's faithful presence predates any awareness you and I could ever have of him. He formed me, knitted me together, verse 13. My soul knows that very well, verse 14. I was intricately woven as one translation for verse 15. And the days were formed before me before I could even start to even think about what that looked like, verse 16. In verses 17 to 22, God is described as precious and David draws exceptionally clear lines about his loyalty to God and to God alone. That's David's heart for pursuing the holiness of who God is and who he desires for us to be. The things that God declares as evil or that would be evil, that would be a threat to our heart and our soul, that would distract us and tear us away from him, those are the things that David wants to be in opposition with as well. All of which, the first 22 verses, all of which bring us to the ultimate declaration then of how we might submit ourselves, how we might truly be known. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the end. This is the climax of David's Psalm 139. It's the only place that David can come to. If God is all the things that he has written about in the first 22 verses, and he is, what else is there to say? You know everything, you're everywhere, and you desire for me to pursue your holiness. Okay, search me, God. David's posture, he comes into this with a posture of repentance. David's not, I'm presenting to you who I want you to see which is what I want to do all the time. David's posture is one of present repentance. I'm not presenting to you a polished, packaged version of myself. Have it all, God, know me. Now, you could make an argument that God doesn't need our permission, but God loves us enough that he desires that we would give it. Show me myself completely honestly and in a way that I either can't do or won't do. Put me to the test because you, God, are the desire. And the pursuit of holiness is my desire. Show me where I need your healing and comfort in places I can't fix myself. Lead me, God, and show me yourself and grant the assurance that you are enough to fully know and fully love me. David says, confront me. Call me on my rebellion. Call me on my sin. Those are real things. They're real things when you have the moment of salvation, and they're real things in every single day after that. We will sing later on, later on when the group comes back up. We're going to sing about the fact that, guess what? My inclination, I am prone to wander. God says, or David says, confront my rebellion, confront my sin, and show me the way home to you. By application and conclusion. Maybe this week you just practice what David has, has done here in Psalm 139. 
Maybe you encounter and speak out in worship the truth of who God is and allow space for the truth of who you are to be revealed. We remind ourselves about the truth of who God is, not for, our, not, not for God's benefit, but for ours. I forget. The nation of Israel forgot. Every single human that's ever walked the earth forgot. And we will. We need to be reminded. Nathan started this whole series with the idea of eat well and eat often. Guess what? If you eat well in reminding yourself who God is because of what his, what his word shows you and what his heart is for you, man, do that often. That's well, and it should be done often. I'm talking to me as much as you, a promise. We want to know who God is, and we want to hear in our best way, in our, on our best days, we want to hear who he says that we are. And trust in that, that the way everlasting because of the Father's love, because of Jesus' sacrifice, and because of the Holy Spirit's loving and sometimes not so gentle conviction, that that way is more than we could ever deserve. I'll come back to where we began a little bit, but the sense of community, of home, of belonging, of being known, always flows out of a healthy communion with God. That is eternally true. The inverse, not necessarily. You can live in an awesome community. And like I said, we had the gift of living in a place that prides itself on, on being all about community. Hunterdon County, right? Clinton, New Jersey. These places are incredible, and you can rightfully brag about how much community matters. It does. But without communion with God, individually and collectively, collectively, church, That community will leave us wanting, maybe not immediately, because we can probably convince ourselves enough that having good people around is enough. But if all we care about is celebrating community with others and we don't have communion with God, then we, are, we have a tendency then, I have a tendency then, to worship the gift not the giver. That's not the optimized, fully realized satisfaction of our longings. Only communion with God who fully knows you and fully loves you can satisfy your need and my need to be known. Here's my confession, two plus years in the making. Leaving my old friends was hard. And making new friends as newcomers, as people entering a, a new area of the world and the way that the last couple of years have unfolded in such bizarre and challenging ways, making new friends has been even harder. It's not a woe is me moment, but I say, said that at the beginning of our time that leaving New Jersey was the start of a really important journey. It's not the first time and it might not be the last time, but my wanting to find new friends and create my new community, that was my pride. And when it didn't happen as fast as I wanted, and it didn't happen in ways that I wanted, boy, 
That started to tap into my unbelief. That God loved me. That God knew me. That he knew what I really wanted and what I really needed. That's my lack of trust, my unbelief. Rooted in him, dependent on him, the joy of community with others flows. That's why the New Jersey chapters, and I'm sure the Virginia chapter of our our lives will be so beautiful, because God wants to draw us close. He wants to test us. He wants to refine us. He wants to love us, and he wants to lead us. And then he sends us out to do it all over again, but not without him. Not without him being first, not without him being preeminent, and not without him being sovereign over all. That's how we would be fully known. That's how we would be fully loved. I'm going to invite the musicians back up, and we're going to close in a second uh, with a song called Come Thou Fount. It's the idea, it's rooted in the idea of like, again, the gift and the giver piece. But if we are only looking at the wellspring and we're not looking at the fount, like we're missing the source, right? So if we're honest in this moment, it's not a question of whether we can see that we need to be known by God and then press into that deeper relationship with him. We were made for him. We were made by him and we were made for him. We were made to worship him and to need him. So the question is not whether we can surrender. The question is this. Whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time. Not can you surrender, but will you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, no one is like you. I trust that you know me best, love me best, test me best, lead me best. I wish I could say I won't need this prayer tomorrow or the day after that, but I will. I need you every single day. Confront my sin, comfort my heart, and lead me toward a life where I am fully known and fully loved by you. And that that alone is enough. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
our Savior. We pray this and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Good thank Drew for being here this morning. It's awesome. Our prayer team is down here to the right. Uh, God bless and have a wonderful day.